Hi, you're welcome to Hughes Convos, and my name is Ridwan. Today, I'll be discussing something quite interesting. It's around the concept of money. And I'm discussing it because it's coming from a quote that has become mainstream where you find a lot of people say it repeatedly. And most times when I hear some quotes that are supposedly from the Bible, I tend to ask myself, is this biblical? Is this actually what the Bible says? And so, yeah, I want to discuss this. It's, it's a quote that talks about money is the root of all evil. And the question is, is money the root of all evil or is it the love of money that's the root of all evil? But even around that, it's also the question is, is God really against Christians having money or being wealthy? You know, there's a, another divide of Christianity where you find people equate Christianity with suffering. You know, the poorer you are, the more Christian you are, you know, deny yourself some of these worldly things, you know, make yourself suffer. So you, you find things like self-inflicted sufferings going on. And it kind of shows that you're humble before God. But is this really, really how the Bible wants it to be? Is God really against the rich, you know? So you, you find people support it with things like, yeah, the Bible says it's hard for a rich person to get into the kingdom of God. So because of that, be poor. But let's look at it from Scripture, or let's look at it first from where that quote originated from, money, the root of all evil. And then we look at it and the context in which the writer was actually meaning it. Well, we understand that by the end of the uh, podcast, then we'll be able to really answer or come to some form of conclusion as to whether it's wrong for Christians to be rich or to have money. So yeah, follow me. I hope you have your Bibles. I'm just going to, it's a discussion around the Bible, so we see that. So the initial quote comes from Paul. Paul is uh, writing to Timothy at this point. Now, Timothy typically is a young pastor. Paul is asking to take charge of the church in Ephesus. And Paul is like, I'm about to, you know, pass on. He's like a father entrusting his legacy to a son. And he's giving some very timely, timely advices and words of wisdom. And of course, the doctrine of Christ to Timothy and asking him to make sure that it continues in that same way. If you haven't read the book of Timothy, I would advise you to do First Timothy and Second Timothy. This is an amazing book. It has a whole lot of advice for even for your Christian walk. And of course, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we can take a lot of things that are applicable today from those uh from that part from those books. So now Paul is writing this letter, and then in First Timothy chapter six and verse ten, we see where he says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is where that quote usually comes from. And we actually see what he says here is, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Honestly, I mean, I even need to do a full Bible study on this. And you would agree with me that the love of money has been a major root of all kinds of evil, even in our world today. You, you don't need too much explanation for this to see what's actually going on, what people would do for the sake of money because that's what their life is all about. But now, when Paul says, for the love of money, it's important for us to read the preceding verses to understand the context in which he's talking. And that's one thing I always like to uh, tell people. When you read a verse, when you memorize a verse, please always go back there to understand the verse 
in the context in which the writer is talking or writing so you don't make mistakes or misapply them. And you start saying, God said this. Whereas God didn't actually say, you're the one who took it out of context or you're wrongly applying the scripture. So let's look at what he meant when he says, what love and when he's wrote all kind of evil. So from verse one, you are seeing that Paul is talking to slaves and masters there. From verse one, he's talking about those who are slaves and then he's asking them to uh, consider their masters worthy of full respect. And then in verse two, he then tells the masters to also respect the slaves. So it's a two-way street. Respect your masters and masters. I don't want to discuss the concept of masters and slavery here. It's a touchy subject, but there was a practice of slavery and slavery that was done at this time, which was the way of life there. And Paul is preaching to this context of culture, using the gospel to, you know, permeate this and bring some form of countercultural practices, which is typically what the Bible does or what the gospel does, rather. It's a, it has a way of permeating our culture and bringing transformation with it. So God works within the present cultural, uh, whatever obtains in the present cultural settings, and then through that works out his transformation. So as opposed to masters who would always want to lord it over their slaves, G Paul is giving an advice which Jesus already gave long before, before he left. He says, don't lord it over the people like the Pharisees do. But whoever wants to lead amongst you, let him be a what? A servant. Let him serve the people. Now, Paul is also using that same advice here. He's using, taking Christ's teaching and applying it here. He's saying, respect your masters and also masters respect your workers or your slaves. So he's, I could say today, employers respect your employees and employees respect your employers. And so he then goes further and talks about teaches anyone who teaches false doctrines does not agree to sound instruction around Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching. That person is conceited, understands nothing, has an unhealthy interest in controversies, quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions. These people, notice the people he's describing here, they are people who do not give to, who give to false teachings and they do not subscribe to the instructions of our Lord Jesus Christ. They are not teaching Christ's teachings. And he says, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. You see, this set of people, I mean, they go into friction with men of corrupt mind, people who think godliness is an opportunity to make money. It could be spiritual leaders who are lording over their members to you know, siphon money from them. You see this opportunity, oh my God, they're going to give me a lot. Now let's go in. And at some point in Timothy, he was talking about those who worm their way into the houses of women who have not learned and take advantage of them. They find an opportunity and they want to make a financial gain from this. And honestly, that's really not far from today where you can understand there are a lot of people who see godliness as a means to make money. As a matter of fact, there are those who have believed the gospel wrongly because of money. They come into Christianity hoping that their poverty will be changed. So uh, the means of obeying Christ and, you know, obeying his teachings has an end for them. There has to be money involved. There has to be some form of financial gain involved. If it's not there, then their Christianity is crumbled, if you understand what I mean. And Paul says here, but godliness with contentment is great gain. 
as much as we pursue Christ's teachings, uh, we follow his word and we're giving our lives to him, we must also be content with what we have. For we brought nothing into the world, verse 7, and we can take nothing out of it. Verse 8, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. If you have the basic necessities, you're fine with that. Why is he saying this? Go on. Because notice he's talking about there are some people who are taking advantage of the godliness or taking advantage of our spiritual practices to make financial gain. And Paul is drawing them back and says, why don't you just be content with what you have? If we are content with what we have, I mean, we'll be fine. Now he goes on. He says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. So what's he saying here? People who long for it. Their life longing is to be rich, to make money. And it's not new. If it's happening today, that it has happened many, many worlds before. Their life's goal is to make money. And that's it. And Paul is saying these people will fall into, typically even in this world today, <laughs> to make money. Or to even make, I mean, money. There's a whole lot of temptation that comes before. Opportunities to make money in an illegal, unethical way. A lot of it happens, even in our today's world. And it says, those who put their heart on it. Now, he's not saying those who want to be rich, basically, as Christians, or you just want to have basic money, or you want to, you're working and you're making good money. This is not what he's, this is not the focus here. If you see the next verse, is now the 10 that becomes a popular quote. He says, for the love of money, the quote there, underline that part in your mind, the love of it, the lusting, the craving for money, the greed that comes with it, I want it all, is a root of all kinds of evil. And that's just blatant truth. For when anybody makes their life go to make money alone, yeah, they will do anything for it. And today we see that happen where there are those who, they want to make money by all means. And they do not care who gets hurt. They do not care who gets affected. They do not care who gets robbed or even dies as long as they make the money. So some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. They have they have totally departed from the principles of the faith. They have wandered away from it. And now there's so much sorrows in their heart. Yes, they may have the money, but what did it take to get you there? So what, now what Paul is saying here is not strange because this is also similar to Jesus' teaching before he left. This is a teaching Jesus had left for the disciples even before he left. So Paul is just building on that. So if you go to Mark chapter 10, we're going to see the similar teaching there about the rich young ruler. I'm sure you've heard about the rich young ruler many times. In Mark chapter 10, from verse 17, uh, a man came to Jesus and then he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus says, okay, um, don't commit adultery, don't murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony. This is verse 19, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he says, I've kept all these things. And Jesus says, one thing you lack. Of course, what's going on here? One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. Verse 21, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Bro, 
if I was him, myself, that time, I have this much money. And I've come to him like, how can I make it? And then he told me, okay, you know what? Go sell everything that you have. Now, don't even keep the profit. <laughs> Jesus is reaching. <laughs> don't even keep the profit. He says, go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Then come and follow me. Honestly, if you were him, you'd react the same way. Because at this point, Jesus is not even looking like somebody who could give you <laughs> it means of living. You know, many times they ask them, I want to go come stay with you. Jesus would say, Son of man had nowhere to lay his hands. Head. One of the reasons the Pharisees never even believed Jesus was the Messiah because he never looked like it. He did not come from a royal home. He was basically just a craftsman. That was it. There was nothing uh, prestigious about Christ except for the miracles and the things he did. But as a person, nobody would really want to follow him. And then this rich man comes to him, of course, having some form of understanding about Jesus Christ, then you're telling him, go and sell everything. Perhaps he might even be coming in and say, I want to help you with this. I can even support the ministry. Jesus says, go and sell everything you have because there's something you're lacking. And what was the thing the rich man was lacking? Where his trust was. His trust was not in Christ. Christ is trying to bring attention back to God. You're placing your trust in God. That's what matters. But this guy had built some sort of security around his wealth. And honestly, wealth gives you that sense of security where you, um, when you have a lot of money, I mean, you just get that sense of, oh, I've made it and there. There's nothing I can't do. Uh, all that, or you just ask is how much does it cost? Basically, that's what people would say. And so wealth gives you some sense of security and in no time, your identity and trust is placed in what you own and what you possess in terms of wealth as opposed to placing your trust in God. And so Jesus says, you see, he looks at his disciples and says, it is hard, how hard is it for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God? He's not saying it's wrong to be rich. But the context there is what's going on here. It is hard for those who place their trust in riches to get it, or who place their trust in material things. Because to get into the kingdom of heaven or to have eternal life, the Bible tells us we have to place our trust in Christ. So we realize that by our own selves, we cannot save ourselves. And that's why the disciples asked, so who will be saved? And Jesus says in verse 27, that's the context. That's another context again that I'm, my poke your bubble. Um, <laughs> The disciples were even more amazed because when you read verse 25, the Bible says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man. I mean, Jesus repeats it again because they asked, what do you mean? This is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Some scholars believe the eye of the needle is, you know, when you see those ancient Roman movies, you see entering into a court, you have that big gate that is for the chariot and then you have the small gates for people to walk through. And you know, the camel has this hunchback and they're saying, for the camel to go into that small gate, which is typically called the eye of the needle, it has to bend in a form of humility. While some other scholars also believe this is literal. Jesus is saying it is easier. It's not, there's no gate here. It is easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man. Basically, it's almost impossible. And what is he talking here? What he's saying is it is easier for a camel to do something quite impossible and for someone to, to who trusts in themselves, in material things, or in wealth, 
to make it or to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then so the disciples asked, who then will be saved? Because it's, impo if it's impossible for a camel to go through the avenue. So who then will be saved? And Jesus says, with man it is impossible, but with God, but not with God. All things are possible with God. This context is talking about salvation, of course. It is easy to get into the kingdom of God when you trust in him. He is the only one who can make it possible. But that's not the focus for this teaching. That's another focus entirely. But here, Jesus is showing us that trusting in riches is problematic. Which is the truth. i give you another, uh, in, the, in the same spirit of that, it's Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, we hear the story of a rich fool. So I think this will shed more light on that area. Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, 15 verse 15. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Boom. That sounds like bars for me, honestly. Jesus drops bars many times, but this one I love a lot. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You are not identified physically by how much you have. Be careful of greed. Your wealth, your possessions, is not what defines you. I think that's, that's another way to put it. And you find that a lot of people find their identity in what they own. Take away that stuff and there's an identity crisis. They have built a whole lot of trust, dependence, identity. Their worth is tied to their possession. Their worth is tied to how much they own. Their worth is tied to their wealth, to their fame, to power, whatever it is. Take that thing away and then there's identity crisis. Because they, they still have some form of dissonance happening in their brain or in their minds. And Jesus is saying your life is not about what you possess. So it's similar to what he's talking about here. But look at this. The rich young ruler went there, wanted to make, he wanted to have eternal life. And then Jesus is okay. Part away with all these things that you have built your identity in and then come follow me. And there was a problem. He couldn't do that. Because how do I even start? This is my status. This is how much I've owned. And so moving back here, in verse 16, Jesus then told a parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things to do for many years. Take life easy, eat and drink and be merry. This guy was an OG. You understand what I mean? Like, you have made a lot, and then you don't have enough space to store what you have made. Do you understand what I mean? And then now he says, you know what? I'm going to build a bigger one and then store more. And by this time, I have secured my retirement benefits. I've secured anything that I need. So when I make all this, I'm just going to sit down, and, you know, sip my coffee, my Ferrari looking there with a pool, and I just continue to live life and be merry. And then he says, but God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Oh, man. Sometimes the way Jesus paints some things is scary. <laughs> it's like, you know, Jesus is like a spoiler, like a buzz killer. So sometimes you say some things that you're just there like, can't you just let this guy enjoy himself for a moment? But anyways, back. He says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Th then 
who will get what you have prepared for? And Jesus is pointing to a very, very important message here. He says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. The danger of building a life that is that its worth is tied to possession, wealth, at the expense of God is problematic because your life is not even promised you. You know, when James was saying, you tell to yourself, oh, see you tomorrow. Who told you you're going to see tomorrow? Say, you should say by God's grace or God willing that you're going to see each other the next time. You become so confident that you own your own self or you, you control your own self and God is not giving his place in your life. If you store up things for yourself and you're not rich in your relationship towards God, then there's a problem. This is the same spirit in which Paul was speaking in 1 Timothy chapter 6. says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Because when there is a desperate love for money, greed comes in, you know, covetousness comes in. You want to make money at all costs. And in most times, you will do anything to make that money. You wouldn't care who you step on. And that's why Paul was saying, many people have wandered away from the faith to win this. They have departed from the principles of Christ. And they have pierced their own conscience or pierced their own sorrow with sorrows rather because of the things they have done just to make the money and most times it's a line that once you cross it you can't come back from it so it's not necessarily meaning that it is wrong for christians to be rich i mean they were the man who took jesus's body believed in him had money and buried him well um there were believers in the new testament church who had money and they were supporting those who didn't have the bible says some of them even sold their possessions and they were sharing it amongst themselves. And God is not against you having money. As a matter of fact, he will bless you financially. Paul talks in, I think, 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, or is it 2 Corinthians 8 and 9? He talks about um, God blessing you and increasing you so that you be a blessing to others. So the, God is not against you having money. You're working legitimately. You're making money legally, ethically. Beautiful. But it should not be at the expense of your relationship with God or your trust with God. The goal is to bring you to a point where you're absolutely trusting in God. Your faith is placed in Him. If you go even through the Old Testament, you hear things like some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of our Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18 says, I am the Lord who gives you power to get wealth. He talks to the whole nation of Israel. Abraham, the Bible says in Genesis 13, was rich in cattle. He was extremely wealthy. Yet one thing that was accredited to this man, Abraham, was that he placed his faith in him. Romans 4 talks about him believing God and God counted it as righteousness for him. Abraham had this level of trust in God and faith in him that when God said, go sacrifice your son, your only son, the one you have waited years to have, Abraham didn't think twice. He got up and went to sacrifice. In Genesis chapter 12, the Bible says, God told him, leave your father's house and depart out of your country. I want to show you a land. He left. He obeyed. He had a level of trust in him. Even though he had wealth, his trust was in God. And that's the point God wants us to be in. So it's not about you not making money. It's that your heart is not driven by money because wherever your treasure is, wherever your, your heart is following, that's what has control over you rather. That's why it says you can't serve God and mammon. 
Because if your heart is yearning for money, then money is your master. If your heart is yearning for money, then money becomes your master. And money will dictate what you need to do. And the Bible says, those who long for this, in First Timothy chapter 6, those who want to do this, whose heart is longing for money, they will fall into temptations and traps that will pierce their souls with sorrow because they will start negotiating. And that's usually what happens. You start negotiating things for the sake of money. But when your trust is in God, the truth about it is those who place their trust in Him know that Yahweh knows what's best for them. If you come to that place of trust in Him, even if He says, part away with this, you trust that He knows what's best. I just place my trust in Him. Matthew 6.33, Jesus talks about it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What you need, He knows what you need even before you ask for it. Jesus said that. He blesses the works of hands. He coaxes us. He helps us to make money. But our trust must remain in him. You know the story of Nebuchadnezzar who looked at the whole I mean, kingdom and then says, my own hands are built this. I have acquired this by myself. And God humbled him seven years as a mad person in the forest. So it's the same thing for us as believers. So it's not necessarily against you having wealth. It is, where is your heart lying? Where is your heart focused on? On Yahweh or on the money you want to make? One of them would rule over you. You have to decide who. Because if our hearts are focused on Yahweh, even while we're making money, we're doing it in fear of God and in reverence for Him. It will push us to a place of helping those around us. It will push us to a place of being, you know, yeah, being generous to those who do not have around us and also being generous towards other believers, those who do not have. There's a way it works in your heart. You're not doing it to escape taxes. <laughs> or you're not doing charity to look good in front of people. But yeah, genuinely being, you know, motivated or pushed or inspired by God because that's where your heart is. And even if today the money is taken away and you do not have you have your trust in him because you know him whom you have believed. You still have joy unspeakable because that joy is not of material things. That joy comes from heaven. That joy is from Christ. It cannot be snatched away because you have now been born of an incorruptible seed. So what that means is whether you have money or not, whether trials come or not, poor or rich, your focus, your dependence remains the same in Yahweh. That's where he wants us to get to. And when paper, chasing paper, making money like we call it, or chasing paper, becomes the focus of our lives, then there will be traps. And that, that's what Paul was trying to get at. So is money the root of all evil? No. Is the love of money the root of all kinds of evil? Yes. Do you stand a chance of facing issues or trapping yourself when all your life goal is to make money? There will be problems. But as a true disciple of Jesus Christ, your focus is on Christ, being his disciple, following his teachings, focusing on God, enjoying your time with him, 
and then obeying his instructions through the Bible. We strive for this. And in this, we become better people. And we grow, the Bible says, we're changed. Transformed into his own image. That's the whole point. So, make money all you can. Work. It's good to work. It's good to charge. A laborer deserves his wages. That's what the Bible says. A laborer deserves his wages. Wherever you work, you will eat. Make your money all you can, but let it be in honor of God. And let your trust always remain in him. I think that explains First Timothy chapter 6, and I hope that has blessed you. I'll be, again, I'll be back again next time to discuss another interesting topic. God bless you. Take me to the body.